0: Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday Sermon Series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Nehemiah chapter 2, 17 through 20. And this is the reading of God's Word. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God has been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, right, or memorial, in Jerusalem. Amen. Church. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me before we begin? God, we thank you for calling all of us to your house. God, we posture ourselves to hear from you, God, and to we glean and we lean into your heart uh, to be conveyed and to receive what it is that you desire from us, Lord. God, in light of many circumstances, God, uh, what we see as a society, God, what we see in the troubles of our own lives, or God, in the context of our families and work, And, God, we just submit all that we have unto you, God. And, God, Holy Spirit, we give you the permission to lead us, to speak to us, so that, God, in the end, God, our hearts may be filled by your presence. And, God, that, that we may be directed according to your holy truth. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Nehemiah, the author of this book, was a Jewish man living in a different country, a country, of uh, the kingdom of Persia, at the time of where this story begins. Nehemiah was a cupbearer, and he worked directly with a Persian king. And although he lived miles and miles away, very far away from home, Nehemiah had a tremendous and deep love for his home country. In the opening chapter of this book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah himself tells of the story which his countrymen, his fellow brothers, had come from Jerusalem as visiting him where he lived, the capital city of the kingdom of Persia, a city called Susa. So these men had come from Judah, and they were now discussing about what was happening in the homeland, the home country of the author, Nehemiah. And these exact words of his friend's were: I read to you from chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And it says, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with So his friends conveyed to Nehemiah just a desolate place that his now beloved country is in. The the walls are torn down, the buildings are burned, and this entire city is consumed and depraved by great destruction. In verse 4, When I heard these words, I sat down and wept, mourned for days. So upon hearing this news, Nehemiah responds, and he responds with great, great agony, and he cries and he weeps over the fact that he had just heard about the great destruction of his home country in Jerusalem. He immediately makes a connection to what he had just heard. Mind you, he is hundreds of miles away. It's likely that he hadn't been in Jerusalem for a long while. In a sense, he didn't really have to be so troubled. But out of the love that he had for his home, he troubles himself. He does not let the news just uh, get past him. He does not just glare over the fact of the fact that his home country was in great trouble. I think here, let me just pause here. We see Nehemiah, upon hearing the news, he doesn't rush to the next point. He processes it, and he rightfully grieves and weeps over the pain and suffering that he had just heard. I was reminded when I read chapter 1, I was reminded of Jesus in John chapter 1, the gospel of John, chapter 11, where Mary, a beloved friend of Jesus, Mary comes to him and tells Jesus that her brother, her brother had been dead. Her brother, whose name was Lazarus, is now dead. And this is what Mary tells our Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, Lord, Rabbi, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Jesus, uh, Mary, knowing well of Jesus' power and capabilities, she confesses. She, she, she weeps. She mourns over the fact that her brother had been dead. And so when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the rest of the Jews, rest of Mary and Lazarus' friends, upon seeing what was going on, all of them came with her also weeping. And as Jesus is listening to Mary's story, the scriptures tell us that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and was greatly troubled. Troubled. He was deeply moved and in spirit and was troubled. That word, trouble, uh, the, word, uh, the, the phrase was troubled in, in, the, uh, in its grammar is spoken to us in a passive middle voice. Meaning, every time a passive middle voice is uh, 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 conveyed to us, we, impl- we understand that the action is automatically implied. Meaning the action is automatically implied which the subject is responding to the general surrounding circumstance. Meaning we can infer that passage to be, read, to be read this way. Upon seeing Mary weeping, upon hearing the news of her brother being dead, upon hearing that had Jesus been there, he would not have been dead. So upon hearing that, he troubles himself That is probably the more correct way of reading that passage. Jesus troubles himself, and he places himself in the context of current suffering. Jesus allowed that moment to not pass beyond him. Jesus allows that particular moment to consume him. Thus, he joins in the pain and suffering which Mary, his great friend, was in. And I was reminded of the passage. I think Nehemiah does the same thing here, where upon hearing the news of his beloved home nation, upon hearing the news of the destruction of Jerusalem, Nehemiah troubles himself. He does not let the moment get past him. And he pauses, and he listens, and he allows himself to mourn. And the scriptures certainly tell us that he wept for days. And let's see what happens upon hearing that. Jesus hears the news, uh, not, not Jesus, Nehemiah hears the news, and he weeps, he rightfully grieves, and let's see what else he does next. Next thing we see, Nehemiah taking immediate action, and he takes the first step of getting himself involved in this great suffering. So I mentioned earlier that Nehemiah was a cupbearer, so every time a king should be poured a drink, that was Nehemiah's job. So Nehemiah had direct access to the king and he was over and over in the presence of the king of Persia. So Nehemiah at one time, uh, in verse two of chapter two tells us that Nehemiah in the presence of the king, he appeared very sad. He appeared very troubled to the point where king took notice of Nehemiah that he did not look very normal. Did you know that back in those days that anyone in the presence of the king, almighty king, they were not allowed to show any kind of sadness. They were not allowed to express any kind of remorse or displeasure because that would have meant that there was a great disrespect in the presence of the king. And this was not some kind of a secret law. This was not no unwritten rule. Everyone was aware of the fact that they should not convey any kind of sadness or any kind of anger in the presence of the king. And we know that Nehemiah was greatly informed of this fact. So this is not accidental. So Nehemiah does something that he knows that he should not do in the presence of the king which is to show what? Great sadness. So much so that the king took notice of Nehemiah. So he recognized that something was not right with Nehemiah. So there begins a dialogue between king and Nehemiah. And Nehemiah basically tells the king, the Persian king, Oh king, I am saddened. You're right in that you noticed something different about me today. It's because my heart is greatly troubled. It's because that my home country is torn apart. It's because my beloved city, Jerusalem, known as a city of God, known as a very dwelling place of God, is in complete ruins. Oh, for that reason, king, my heart is torn. And it conveys to the king, it says, you know what? And I would love to be there with my countrymen. I would love for the chance to return to my home country and figure out what it is that I can do, what it is that I should do in rebuilding my beloved city. So what does he do? Uh, you, you, can know, you know that Nehemiah had great favor with this king of Persia. So this king grants him, he writes him a couple letters so that they could serve as visas because for Nehemiah to go back to his home country, he would have had crossed different territories, different regions of the enemies of the kingdom of Judah. So now this Persian king writes personal letters so that Nehemiah can carry them and upon crossing borders that he would have no trouble, no difficulty crossing them and eventually returning home. So Nehemiah is finally home, and he does. What does he do? The first thing he does, he studies the situation. He he goes around. He spends exactly three days uh, doing his homework and planning the rebuilding process. So the first thing he the, the first thing that is he studies. He scouts the cities. He makes personal notes. He 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 makes notes of precise uh, locations of the ruins. What needs to be done? He's jotting down. He's, he's setting forth this great plan. And every po- every place, every region, every square of inch of the destructed, destroyed Jerusalem is now fully assessed by Nehemiah. And he prays. He prays. God, give me the strength. God, give me the wisdom to move forward with the plan that we have. And now we come to this passage that we have read earlier. And Nehemiah is about to summon his countrymen and share this great vision of rebuilding and restoring their beloved city in Jerusalem. So, the first thing that he does, or the second thing is, he, he now comes back and he shares his burden and invites others to join in. Let's read together in verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. Nehemiah knew that the job couldn't and wouldn't be done alone. He does a necessary thing in making his vision to a reality. Nehemiah shares a task with his fellow countrymen. You know, one of the most important reminders in life is summarized by this quote. And I absolutely Adore this quote, and I've and this quote has served me greatly in, in helping me understand that I'm to always pursue the great tasks in life with others joining me. And this is the quote that I want to share with you if you want to go fast, go alone, if you want to go far, go together. Let me read that for us again if you want to go fast. Go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. You know, one of my f- favorite things to do as as our family is that we go on hikes. Uh, we're blessed to live near the hills or near on the hills, actually. So we often um, uh, spend time uh, hiking together as a family. You know, it's me, my wife, and, and my mother-in-law and our two very young children. And oftentimes, uh, if you were to see me, oftentimes you will see me running up and down the hills, way ahead of my family. And sometimes I'm, 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 I'm bombarded with the notion that, man, sometimes I think like, man, I would get to our destination so much faster if it was just me hiking. And in that, I sometimes run ahead. Sometimes, and I go all the way up, and I'll come all the way down to rejoin my family who are hiking behind me. And even though that I can go fast, I can go faster than the rest of my family, I also understand that while I can go very fast if I'm journeying along, for me to go really, really far, I'd probably be the first one to admit that I'm going to need the rest of my family. So it appears that we may be traveling slower together as a unit, but that togetherness, a sense of uh, being bonded as one group, will allow us to travel so much farther than if I were to do it all by myself. And friends, life, life success is rarely measured by the speed of work, but it's measured and it should be measured by its duration. It's not about how quickly you you emerge to the top, but how long you can stay in that position. And going together, doing it together, ensures us of that fact. So we see Nehemiah. I think he was a very gifted leader. He was a smart leader. He was very aware. He was also self-aware. So Nehemiah comes to them to rally them up, to attempt again. I'm pretty sure that, that certainly he was not the first one to be notified of the great destruction of Jerusalem. And we need to note that, that the people in Jerusalem probably had attempted to rebuild the walls on their own, but they probably failed. They probably were devastated that they couldn't make any progress. Now we see Nehemiah coming to the scene. And he's rallying them up. He says, let's go together. Let us arise and let us build together. And I love what he says after that. He's rallying them up. And he gives a reason why he's rallying them up. He says, that so that it will no longer be a reproach. Meaning, it will no longer be under criticism. It will no longer be under such destruction. There's no more scolding. There's no lambasting. There's no more attacking. Meaning, the outsiders looking in, when they saw Jerusalem, people made fun of them. They poked fun at the citizens of great Jerusalem. So, this is what Nehemiah says. Hey, We hear the sneers, those surrounding us. We hear them making fun of us. We hear them and we listen to those criticisms. He says, let us arise so that we will no longer be of reproach. In other words, so that we won't be bossed around anymore, so that we won't be made fun of again. I mean, these are some real words. Nehemiah is saying, in a sense, he's saying, you know what, guys? I'm tired of the way it's been. I'm sick and tired of the way of losing all the time. And he's pumping them up. He's rallying them up. Come on, we can do this. Let us do this together. We can and we must do this. In verse 18. So now, Nehemiah sets forth a great call and invites everyone around to join in this great task of rebuilding the ruined walls, destroyed city of Jerusalem. Verse 18 Then they said, Let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. Let me read that for us again. Let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. So we see the people responding immediately. We see a forming of a team. As Nehemiah successfully imparted the vision and the great task and rallied everyone, we see the people being united and committing together for the task of rebuilding. You know, no leader, however great, No matter how gifted that leader is, no one can accomplish what all the people can do together when they're working together. Without followers, leaders do not exist. Team. And I love this simple definition. It's an acronym, team. Together, everyone accomplishes more. Team is together, everyone accomplishes more more. Now, every one of the citizens, residents of this destroyed city, Jerusalem, now they're united under the same vision of they want to see their city being rebuilt. They want to be citizens of a stronger country. And they are now involving themselves at the task of rebuilding. So now they understand that while one person cannot accomplish this, they understand that when they join in, they form one body. The task that seemed too great for one individual, now it it is made possible through working together as a team. So, friends, I want to remind you that whatever it is that God has called you to do, whatever it is that God has called all of us to do, one thing for sure, we weren't called to do it alone. We are called to build together. We are built to and journey together. Whether it be uh, building a ministry, whether it be building your family, whether it is is, uh, building a great career, restoring the nation that we are part of, making it more beautiful and stronger, whatever it is that God has burdened us with, we better understand that together we will accomplish more. Our success, whether at home or out in the workplace, often hinges on the fact that we are able to journey together. So friends, Dear brothers and sisters of Rooftop Church, let us remind ourselves that you and I have been brought together by God to journey on, to assume the responsibility of rebuilding this great church. I am too overwhelmed if I carry this task all by myself. It is too difficult for you if you were to live your life with this great burden of seeing this church get better and stronger. We must be united together under this one vision. Meaning we have to feel the burden together. We must not tolerate together. And in doing so, in restoring this body, restoring what's broken, everyone's participation is necessary. I know we're not going to read that today. I'm not gonna, we're, not, we're not reading chapter 3 today, but if you read ahead and see what's contained in chapter 3, uh, Nehemiah goes on and lists every single family, every single name that has volunteered for the task of rebuilding the ruined walls. And if you look at the list of the occupations that are listed in chapter three, I find it fascinating because we see the priests, we see the goldsmiths, we see the perfumers, we see the servants, we see the gatekeepers, we see the leaders, we see the merchants. All different occupations are, uh, are mentioned in chapter three, meaning the people that have volunteered to rebuild the, wall, rebuild the walls Mind you, they, they're not hiring a bunch of contractors. They're not consulting with the building company. Every one of these people that have committed to volunteer their time and their skills, they're of different professionals. It's not in, this is not the case where hundred blacksmiths show up. It's not that the thousands of bricklayers just showed up. We see the pastors, we see the worship leaders, we see those that, are, uh, uh, that have small uh, uh, businesses, servants come, the, the soldiers come, the leaders come, people who make perfumes come. So you see just a variety of people that are being called for the task. And I, I'm so thankful that God has gifted this church body with such diversity And knowing that our difference of professions do not uh, limit us in building the church body together. And all these people showed up, guys. All these people showed up, and they did whatever that was necessary. And they humbled themselves. In fact, if you read chapter 3, some people refused to participate. And it tells us that some of the noble men, meaning people of the higher class, in society back then because they had slaves, right? Some of these people showed up and they refused to participate because they thought, oh, I'm better than this. I don't get my hands dirty. And those people were not involved. They just never participated. They stood in the wayside while everyone else rolled up their sleeves and partook in the task of rebuilding their beautiful city and I pray that you are encouraged today. Whatever it is that, however it is that you can contribute, whatever it is that you can do in building and strengthening this church body, I encourage you using the unique gifts and talents that God has gifted you with, and that is what we ourselves are committing for the task of. You know, uh, later today, after the service is over, we are going to take the time to welcome and honor 11 new members into our midst. Along with that, we remind ourselves that we are all together. We are one body. God has called us to build this church together. For some of us that have been part of this church from the way beginning, for some of us, uh, very few of us are left now, for those of us that have uh, journeyed from day one of Rooftop Church, we had wondered what it is that God has called us for. We had been very curious about what our church would look like years down the road. And I'm so thankful because now as we look around, as we look around and look at the lives of these 11 new members to be installed, man, they were we didn't even know their names. They did not exist in our minds and our hearts. But isn't it awesome that God has been preparing our church so that those looking for a community of faith, those looking for a church that could be a part of and call home, they're now here. Every face, every name that will be installed together, they're a reminder of the call that God has placed us in our hearts. They serve now as the individual burden which he had been carrying for the past years. Now for those that are joining in, officially being installed as members of Rooftop Church, now God is going to give you the same burden. He's going to get flood your uh, minds with new ideas. How can we strengthen the walls of this church? How can we rebuild this church even more beautifully? How can we build this church so that others that are not yet part of this community can one day come and call this place their home. We are reminded of this great call. And we serve. And I want to encourage you today. uh, One of the things that we have incorporated as part of the graduation ceremony is that later each and every one of the new committed members will reveal which ministry team they will serve in. And in that sense, they're committing themselves that we are no longer spectators. We are no longer visitors. And this well plays into what? Plays into the notion that family serves while guests come and eat. What do we do? What do we always say in this church? Family serves. We roll up our sleeves. We get involved. We don't just sit back and watch others at work, we involve ourselves that each and every one of these 11 members will now reveal to us in what ways they will serve the body of Rooftop Church. And for those that are already members and not yet serving or haven't served in a while, I want to remind you, I want to invite you, I want to reinvite you again that you should absolutely serve and that we uh, draw and experience our greatest joy as we participate in the work which God has called us for. So I encourage you to serve because when you serve, there's this uh, uh, level of joy, something about getting your hands dirty, something about participating because at the end, You are reminded of the great work. You are reminded of the sweat and the toil that have gone into this task of restoring and beautifying. So I pray, as your pastor, my prayer for you is that, man, you will see this as an invitation, not as a burden, but as an invitation from the Lord, that it is our absolute privilege that we get to build. And it is an absolute blessing that we get to build together. Amen? So let me close today's service with the words that were spoken in our main text. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, verse 17, 18. Let us arise and build Church, let us arise and build and build together. As we look around, there are tasks, there are things that we should absolutely be involved in. God is tugging on our hearts to no longer sit on the sidelines. But as we see destruction, as we see pain and suffering around us, that we should absolutely get involved. So may that be an encouragement to you. May that be a reminder for all of us as God is wanting to do work in us and work through us. Amen. Church, let's bow our heads in prayer. God, oftentimes we feel unfortunate that we are surrounded by destruction, pain, and suffering. And while we don't like how that makes us feel, God, we are reminded that you're wanting to use us. You're wanting to involve us in your desire and plan to restore the things that are broken. And God, today, we pray, we pray the simple prayer. God, use us. May we be your hands and feet in restoring things that are broken. May we be used as your agents seeing the world as whole, seeing the world as more beautiful. And God, we pray the same for this church. And God, we see and feel much brokenness. And God, we see when we look around, we see rubbles here and there. God, we see holes in the building structures, Lord. God, we see mistakes. God, we see pain. That we feel frustration as we assess different lives that have been brought together in this church body. And now may we commit. May now, may, may we commit to sacrifice. And today, may we commit to rebuilding the lives of this church. So God, use us. I pray that you highlight different giftings. And I pray as we continue to courageously share our own stories with one another and God may we be burdened with a sense of responsibility and God may we participate in the task of beautifying and strengthening this church Lord God we thank you we love you and Holy Spirit would you continue to speak to us through the rest of today's service Lord We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.